0: Units 10-3, it now appears as though shots are being fired. All officers use caution. It has been confirmed. Suspects are armed and are firing at police. 660 on the air. North Bank's
1: signal 10, building fire. Headquarters, North Mexico fire department, 1,000 North Roadway towards North Park Drive in North Albany. North Block coming from 661.
0: With
1: Welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and thanks to my dad, I have been into the scanner radio hobby since about the time that I could walk. You see, my dad, my grandfather, and even my uncle has always had a scanner radio in their homes, and their love and their knowledge of scanning was passed down to me. And my goal here on the podcast is to take mile hub and my knowledge for scanning and pass that along to you. So if you're new to the hobby or you're a seasoned user, I want to welcome you back to Scanner School. If you have any questions that you need help with, we are here to answer them. You can find plenty of help over on our Discord server by requesting one-on-one tutoring or by even submitting your questions for our monthly Q&A session. And we'll put links to all of those in the description of today's podcast. I've got a question for you. Have you ever heard of a thesis on scanner radios? That's what today's podcast is all about, and our guest today, Brian Rackham, is working on his thesis all about scanner radios. Brian's been in the scanner radio hobby for years and has used his knowledge of scanning throughout his career. While working in the media or while introducing the next generation of scanner radio users as a teacher and an educator, Brian brings a lot of knowledge and experience into the scanner radio world. Today's conversation is two parts. The first part, I'll ask Brian about why he's writing a thesis on scanner radios, how it's going for him and what he plans to do with his thesis. A little bit about his background and where he's going with this. In part two, Brian is going to ask me the questions that he asked everybody else as part of his thesis. And it's basically, he allowed us to record that process and play it back for you. So if you'd like to reach out to Brian and be part of his thesis, you can look down again at the description of this podcast episode. We'll put links there. But keep in mind that, His thesis, you know, he's writing it now, but at some point, he's going to have to close down any more contributions to it because, you know, this podcast will live on a little bit longer than the window is before Brian has to close down and actually put what he's been bringing in and put it down to paper. But again, the links will be down there below. So with that, let's go ahead and join this conversation that Brian and I recorded. Brian, this is a interesting and different perspective on everything here. A very much a first for me. Before we get to start too far along here, please introduce yourself and let everybody know what what we are here to talk about today.
0: Well, my name is Brian Rackham, and I am, first of all, a veteran journalist and now an academic, and I've worked on the assignment desk in a couple of places, including in Denver. And became a scanner listener myself, but I am a researcher now finishing my doctoral dissertation at Arizona State University, and it's about people who listen to scanners. It's about the content that groups of scanner listeners sometimes share with both themselves and sometimes with the public, and how that relates to journalism and how scanner groups often cooperate and work with journalists and how all that works. And that's what my dissertation' about and it's it's turning out the more people I interview and the more research I do, the more fascinating it is. I also teach journalism at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. Very interesting. So you
1: uh,
0: excuse me for a few mentions prior, but you are a current scanner radio listener. Right now, I do listen on occasion. Yeah, absolutely, on occasion. Um, okay. and uh, we have one in our student newsroom. Very oh, nice. always going, and I have a lot of a couple of friends who run incident notification services, which is a big part also of my research. Excellent.
1: And how long have you been working on this entire research
0: project for? Oh, probably about seven years. And really, I'm, I'm in the home stretch doing. I don't have to do a lot of interviews, but I have to do very selective ones and a lot of background research. So when you say home stretch, you say about the next six
1: months, one year, two years? I mean, how about much the next further six have- months to eight months, yeah. I
0: think I should be done. Yeah.
1: Okay. So that brings you and I together here too. So you put it, yeah. well, explain how we, we, you and I came to, uh, to talk about this.
0: Fortunately, the folks who run radio reference, let me put a little notice up on their forums saying, hey, if you're interested in talking about scanner listing, I'm doing some research. And you contacted me from there and offered to assist. And so after we talk, I'm going to interview you. So yeah, yep. it's a it's a I'm delighted to be on your podcast, too. It's great to know that there is one about scanners.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm very excited to have you here and also to be able to help you out because that was part of why I put the podcast together. It was to help people with the scanner radio hobby. So whether they're, they're getting started with it or just have a general interest in it or are diehard scanner radio listeners, something for everybody. And you know everybody starts somewhere when it comes to a new hobby. And I think a lot of people who are into something for years on end forget what it's like to start from scratch especially when it comes to the scanner radio hobby. If you started in the hobby 20 years ago, starting today is much different than starting 20 years, starting 40 years ago. And, you know, I mean, we have to go based on 20 years, but it's a lot different. And, And getting started today can be overwhelming to somebody because there is so much more available to have to navigate through, right? It's a different, different course. So you getting involved, and, and even bring it into the students i mean that that you have and that you've got a scanner radio right there and having people hear it as as you know or the students at that age i think is great because it gives them a little bit of a taste to or for what they can listen to and be part of the hobby that way so kudos to you to not only do research on this one but also introduce the hobby
0: to to new people scanners are really critical i think to journalists they are they're Tip services, if nothing else, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, most news organizations don't report straight off the scanner, but they sure do welcome tips from the scanner and from people who listen to scanners and report those tips and share them. Exactly.
1: Yep. And as we go through your questions that I have outlined here, we're going to find out that that is starting to become a little bit more difficult. (laughs) So, but there's reasons behind all of that as well. So how many more people are you looking to have conversations with to help you
0: with your research? Well, for this is a the kind of study this is, is quali- what's called qualitative research. So I'm, I'm basically doing kind of like a sort of like a focus group. I'm just talking to a select group of people who I know do what I'm interested in studying. And then we're, I'm going to write in great detail I'm asking them all sort of the same questions, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to write in great detail uh, about what they say. And also, there'll be a a large section about just sort of the history of listening and why people listen and, and all the details, because there's very little work, if any, academically that's been done that I've been able to find anyway. So it's a fascinating world, and it comes at a time when journalism is in trouble. And newspapers are closing and people are looking for ways to get reliable information, including journalists, any way they can. So scanner listeners are one potential resource, obviously, you know, vetted. Nonetheless, I think, you know, this that's one of the reasons this is really fascinating. You know, Jack Dorsey, who founded Twitter or co-founded Twitter, has been quoted many times on 60 Minutes even saying he got the idea for the service because as a kid, he listened to railroad scanners great. and he loved the short bursts of traffic. And he thought, this is a great way to deliver information. And sure enough, Twitter turned into what it is today.
1: That's interesting. I didn't I didn't, never heard that stuff before. So that's that's pretty cool that Twitter actually has its background in there. I know originally it was what limited to 140 characters because that was the limitation of cell phone text messaging at the time. So they want to at least keep that wrapped into
0: that as the boundary. 140 characters. That was, that was tough. (laughs) Well, scanner traffic, especially in the initial times before trunking, Mm -hmm. you had to have, you wanted to keep your messages short because you wanted to make sure other people had a chance to get in if there was urgent traffic. And that also comes with good radio practicing as well.
1: You know, knowing to wait two seconds or three seconds to see if somebody else wants to come in before you respond. And uh, if you're into amateur radio, that's definitely something they teach you when you're doing some exercises and drills, especially during Absolutely. emergency communications. So. And, and I
0: actually am. So, yeah, you it, are. that's how I got into scanning was through ham radio. Excellent. A
1: lot of people go one way or the other. They get into scanning and then into ham radio or they go vice versa. So it's uh, two hobbies that work really well together, I think. Oh, yeah. So let's flip the script here a little bit. Unless there's anything else you want to bring up right now before we get okay. started, but I will, I'll pass the baton over to you and you can start asking me some questions about what you need for your research.
0: Well, first of all, I, I, and I, and these questions are kind of basic, but I like to ask them to the same kind of, the same similar questions to everybody so I can get answers from different perspectives. My first question is, how did you start listening to scanners and why do you listen to scanners? Okay. So I started listening to scanners because I was
1: exposed to them at a very early age. My family, the scanner radio was kind of like the TV. My dad always had one on. So there was one always present in my parents' house. And my grandfather would also listen to a scanner. So if you remember the old days of the BC 101 with the dancing lights going back and forth, that was my very first experience when it came to. Well, one of them. Right. But that that radio to me has a memory, has sentimental value, because that was the scanner that was on at my grandparents house when they were still with us. And I vividly remember that being in a in the kitchen above where the microwave would eventually be housed. Right. But it was on a shelf up there. And they would listen to the local police department and the local fire. And again, the fire at that time was on low band. So you'd actually hear the entire county go out as well. But from where we sat in the living room, because it shared the opposite wall was where the scanner was. And my grandfather's chair at the kitchen table was the head of the table. He kind of sat at the threshold between the kitchen and the living room. So in his chair in the kitchen, he could not only eat, but he could also turn and see the TV. So it that, that scanner radio was was always on it, and and it always filled the house basically no matter where you were between those two rooms. Eventually my uncle would take a scanner and he would move it over next to the uh, the couch and the, on the coffee table. So then it was the opposite corner of the house would also have a scanner going, you know, eventually when that BC101 you know and and my par- my grandparents passed away he he acquired the house and, and everything else so scanning was always always in at home and my father again was i think the catalyst that got everybody really involved so he he was into radios he was into cbs he got into amateur radio and he actually worked at a marina or or a, a marine store down in Freeport Long Island where not only did they sell the typical you know Marine communications and antennas and fishing lines and whatnot, but they also sold scanner radios and they sold crystals. So there was always a scanner radio at my parents' house. My very first hand-me-down scanner was a six-channel Fanon SlimScan, which I still have. And in fact, last week I found on eBay, somebody was selling a unopened brand new leather case for that radio. So now I could take the disintegrating case and, Kind of retire that and put it back in a new case and refurbish the radio a little bit, but that was my first true hand-me-down radio. And again, crystal control radio, still in, in the neighborhood of of that BC one hundred one, dancing lights across the screen and in the, the whole deal. But my dad, you know, with with his love for it, was passed down to me. So he still has baby food jars in the in the garage full of crystals. I have boxes of his old equipment that you know he's kind of handing down now. So I've got old older radios that are showing up at my doorstep, basically, that were his. And again, a lot of these old radios, I remember exactly, vividly where they were, where they were in use. Me pushing the buttons and rewriting the memories on on his radios and writing them back, you know, when I was done playing with them. So that's really where I I've, I've, I've found my way into scanning was it was hand, handed down to me, you know, something that my dad enjoyed doing. And it was it was passed on to me. So what do you think there was a part two? There was a part two to that that I forgot Uh, to to get into. So what was
0: what was the second half of that one? That that is why do you think why do you why do you think you and people in general listen to scanners? Okay, so why do people listen
1: to scanners is it's a hobby, first of all, right? It's something of interest. And there is a ton of things out there that you can listen to. So many people just want to know what's going on in their neighborhood right? They want to listen to the local police and the local fire. And for many people, that's, that's it. That to, That's, that's scanning. And my father is that way, listens to one fire department and the local county PD before they encrypted. My grandparents were the exact same way. And so is my uncle. And again, that's, that's fine. If that's the, if that to you defines the hobby and what it is you enjoy about it, then that's, that's, what you enjoy hobby. There's plenty of other hobbies out there that a lot of people enjoy a very small part of, and that's what they enjoy, whether it be gardening, a walking club, or even running, right? I mean, there's people who enjoy walking, but there's people who want to do more than walking, and that's the running club, right? And when it comes to scanning, there's a lot of other side hobbies that kind of go hand in hand. If you're into railroads and rail fanning, you find yourself listening to scanners because you enjoy that extra layer of that hobby. If you're into aviation, the same story. You enjoy listening to the to the planes flying overhead, landing, getting clearance, whatever else, then that's another layer of that hobby that goes in there. You enjoy air shows, you can enjoy listening to the the acts, the military flying. But there's plenty of people out there that just want to hear the military planes flying and and practicing. And that's that's great. I enjoy hearing satellites as they pass overhead because it's something different. That they come and they go. The ability to listen to the International Space Station's onboard repeater, or to be able to talk to them, is you know it's five six minutes within a ninety minute window, basically, and then you know that's all you get. It's it's interesting to be able to hear that. Some people listen because you never know what the next transmission is going to bring. It could be something very exciting, but a lot of it could be. Just routine, but there's a lot of different things out there for people. I mean, some people listen because they're bored and they want to know what else is out there. If you're out shopping or if you're passing through, well, oh, they have radios on. Oh, can I listen to them? That's another example of why people listen to to scanners. And then a lot of people like to do it because it brings a little bit of intel that normally you can't get through other avenues. So, what really did happen at that accident scene, or what really did happen? you know, during major news event that just happened that happened down the street from you. I mean, I've had people on the podcast that, yeah, there were some big national events, both tragedy and routine type of stuff that happened in their neighborhood. And they were able to listen to everything unfold in real time through a scanner radio. And it's that it, there, there is a bit of excitement when it comes to listening to to history unfold with your own two ears. Not as exciting as listening to the local house burn down, but again, you still hear all that activity and the traffic and, and the excitement of the radio user. But there is something that it, it gives you a little bit of insight as to what is is going on. And uh, it's hard to otherwise explain. I mean, it's like, why do you enjoy fishing? It's fun. Sure. Well, what's so fun about dangling a line in the water? Right. To somebody who doesn't get it, they don't understand that it takes a little bit of research, and a little bit of practice, and a little bit of skill. And, you know, the this the, the joy of, of having that line pull for the first time and the bring in and not knowing is that going to be, you know, your own personal best that you caught. Everybody's hobby is different, but it, I think it all in the end brings the same dopamine hit. Right. That everybody is kind of looking for.
0: So. Have you ever have you ever found or heard from the many people I'm sure you talk with that they hear things on the scanner and then the official version of the story comes out and it's different?
1: I'm sure that has happened. I, I don't know exact examples, but I did speak with somebody recently who was monitoring the whole the chaos that happened on January 6th. He was able to to listen to a lot of that. So how much of that he heard versus how much was public knowledge after the fact? through through media outlets. I don't, you know, I'm not there to know one from the other, but I'm sure it happens. I mean, there's even stuff that you hear live over the radio that is later only one side of the story too, because it's just the point of view of the person pressing the microphone. You don't know what else is happening. I'm sure, you know, whether through uncovering what actually happened versus, you know, sit down and take down meetings that Come out of it months to years later. How much of it is true, how much of it's not true. I mean, I always try and leave politics at the door when it comes to the radio hobby because that's just a whole nother can of worms That I'm with um, you. It, It's a fine line that you really don't want to cross when it comes to this hobby.
0: Now, one of the things that really fascinated about me about you is I was looking up and at some point I saw something that you did. You work on scanner history. And scanner history, I've done a lot of work on it, particularly on. When scanner listeners started sharing information with each other, what have you learned about scanner history? I mean, obviously, that's a lot, but can you share with me a little bit of some of the nuggets that you've learned? So are you looking for like the technology changes or? Well, I'm talking about the hobby itself, when it started and how it developed and that sort of thing. So a lot of it started way before my time. I, so I
1: have to go back and relate to some stories, but it always comes down to really some guy who's very crafty with a little bit of knowledge. And it always goes into that, you know, enough to be dangerous, right? I think is the way to put it. And with radio circuitry being the way it is to be able to modify something by, by detuning it, right, to not work into the spec it was defined to work in but you modify it to work to where you want it to work. And, and it, it could be very easily done with very simple radio circuitry, not what we have today, but what we had, you know, maybe hundred years ago when it came to, to radios. Right. And a lot of people who get into the hobby that are, were, and I want to say around hundred years ago, but around the time before you had commercially available, dedicated hardware to scanning. Would modify radios to be able to monitor police band because police band was just adjacent to maybe FM radio or AM radio. Why don't they sit down and broadcast AM radio? But it was around that area that they could tune into. So, whether they had a even a TV, I think at that time, too, right, was adjacent to some of the public safety band. And by detuning, or retuning, they were able to then start picking up other, other, other transmissions. And again, too, you could have done that with a transverter or something like that, or an additional box that would go in between basically the antenna and the radio itself's tuner would basically detune that frequency that it was being received anyway. So it would be able to be picked up by, by a normal radio. And those, again, the old days of the tuning dial and, and the needle, that moved back and forth across the, across the dial. And then eventually you started getting into an era where you'd have radios that were then coming out for the hobby, right? Crystal control radios that basically you go and, and you, you, you go see the guy behind the counter and you say, I want to listen to the local police department, and the local fire department. And that was my dad that everybody knew to go see my dad at the local shop, and he would know all the crystals that you would need to listen to the local county. And he would give you the crystals and then you'd pop the crystals into your into your scanner. Eventually, there were books about scanning that would share these frequencies. There would be, I think the Betty Bearcat of scanner master had a set of books too, and Radio Shack would, would would got into it as well with 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 books and sheets and stuff like that. And I think that became the first version of social media with scanning. Like this is the phone book for scanners. I remember spending hours with my dad's books, you know, copying into my own notebooks. And in fact, I still have probably one of those two notebooks here that I would write down all the frequencies and then you get to the back. And then there was, those were the pages that were mailed to you later that were corrections or additions or whatever else to the book that you had just bought. Because again, once things go to print, it takes a while for it to end up in the, you know, in the bookstore or in the two-way shop or something like that. So, that was part of the hobby. And again, at the time, six channels, eight channels, 12 channels. Ooh, you had 12 channels. That was a lot. Then you started getting into the synthesized radios. And that's when things, I think, started to really modernize because now you could write your own memory channels. And we're skipping over the time of like the BC 101 where you, you set up the dip switches and you hit program. And then, you know, that was like the first programmable scanner. And there was a couple of two that ran off of punch cards and, and stuff like that. But synthesized when it was, things were stored on microchips, that's really when you started to be able to control more of it because then it would open up more than just 12 channels or 20 channels, or whatever it was, because you could always manually program in one more, that you wanted to on on the fly. So conventional, right, FM was was where it was out straight analog signal. And then eventually we started migrating into the trunked era. And everybody thought when trunking came around that it was the end of the hobby. The hobby was dead because we had this new thing called trunking, which basically meant that you had a computer running on a on a frequency and the computer would tell all these units as a group where to go, what frequencies to navigate and bounce around to. And Scanners at the time, they this was brand new. There wasn't anything out there. They were allowed to do it. So, of course, people got creative, and they would just scan through the voice channels. They would never really know who they were listening to, and they couldn't lock out anybody. But eventually, scanners caught on. People learned how to program their trunk systems. and new trunk flavors came out, and new scanner radios came out. And it was always a cat and mouse game. And then we got into the world of digital. And digital now opens up a whole other layer, right? P25, NXDN, DMR, Tetra. And there's no scanner on the market right now from Unidin or Whistler that does Tetra, but Tetra is big over in Europe. So it leads this like, what do you do? And now you start getting into the, we start navigating now into a brand new world of software defined radios. And software-defined radios basically is, you have a USB stick you can buy for 40 bucks or so, or you can spend $400 on it, depending on how much you need out of that unit. But this now allows you to use your your computer to not only tune around, but also manipulate things like modulation and setting up different types of splits and scanning and using third-party software to emulate a scanner radio or do some recording or you can split that one radio into three radios or four radios depending on hardware and processor power and USB bus bandwidth and all these other crazy fun things that you can do and you can basically go almost i want to say DC to daylight but it you can get software defined radios that are unblocked that are completely open that can monitor basically anywhere and any form of modulation and as long as it's not encrypted because that's the big the big you know we'll talk about that in a little bit i'm sure it's that's so that's really the whole history of scanning in a nutshell and as far as going i know this is long answers for you but getting into the the whole idea of history of people and talking about it like i said i think the book was the first social media right the the book was really where it was at my first experience with a community when it came to scanning was the local amateur radio repeater where they had a play on words, right? Long Island has the Long Island sound and that is the body of water between Long Island and Connecticut. And the name of the net was the, the Sounds of Long Island, I think was the name of it. The, the, yeah, I think it was the Sounds of Long Island is what they would call it. But it was all about the, the frequencies and the scanning that was in use in the tri-state area. So that was my very first experience and, and participating in the net. And again, I was a teenager or a young teen at the time and I would sit there And I wasn't smart enough to have a tape recorder next to me and record the stuff. I I would sit there with paper and pen and write everything down as fast as I could and hope I caught it. I mean, it it would have been nice if I had recorded them. But there are people out there who have actually archived those nets and have repurposed them and put them onto the internet so that you can go back and listen to those. And I'm sure if I listened to enough of them, I would actually hear myself checking in on that net as you know my old amateur radio call sign but there's other nets out there that were involved with that as well there's the NYDXA which is a New York DX association that went on to that there are again groups that would spin off from the amateur radio groups and would become their own their own groups. There's the the tar heel I think is the one that's down in, in North Carolina and there's other groups out there as well that sprung up and became their own little circles, I guess, when it came to the scanner radio world. So yeah, there's, that's a lot of how people would navigate through. Then eventually now you get into the social media aspect of it that we think of today with Facebook and, and, uh, you know, online forums and stuff like that. There's apps like Zello, Zello, GroupMe, Discord. I mean, there's, if there's an avenue at this point to have people huddled together into a chat-based platform, you're going to find at
0: least one scanner radio group, I think somewhere in there. In those early chats that you were involved in, were they talking mostly about frequencies or were they talking about what they heard?
1: It was mostly about frequencies. And again, if it was an unknown frequency, they would talk about who they heard on it, but not so much divulging like, you know, oh, I I heard that there was a fire on so-and-so or, you know, over at least the amateur radio stuff. When it comes to the text-based groups, you know, you would hear a lot more of that. And again, too, I left out a whole chunk there where it was the IRC days too, right? You had the alt dot rack dot whatever i mean there were skinner radio rooms even going back that far as well so old
0: chat rooms old, old uh, chat uh, rooms yeah bulletin boards yes yeah yes. 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 even the
1: dial-in bulletin boards yes in fact in, in the amateur amateur days too we used to have packet radio and there was a group for and you'd follow the you know there was like the chat bulletin board or the basic bulletin board and you'd, you'd look for AMSAT or for sale and there was always one two for scanning or scanners or something like that that was part of that so yeah like i said if there's any way of chat medium i think you're going to find scanners using that all right we're gonna take a quick break here in the middle of this conversation as a reminder anybody who's a patreon supporter at the three or a higher level doesn't get this upcoming break for everybody else we'll catch you all in just a second chances are pretty good that you shop online and buy things online. So whether it's Amazon or eBay or ScannerMaster, maybe you got a new radio and you're going to buy new software from Butel, you can help support the podcast with your online purchases. If you use our support page before buying things online, you can support our show without it costing you a single cent. So before you buy your groceries, your golf balls, your socks, or maybe a new radio, software, or whatever it is. We would love it if you could use our affiliate links before you make that purchase, and this will help support the show at no additional cost to you. Go to scannerschool.com support to find out how you can help us out. Thanks again. Do you feel lost when it comes to the scanner hobby? Are you looking for someone to answer your questions? Do you have a new radio, and you need help understanding how it works? Or are you working on a big project and need somebody to bounce ideas off of? Do you need a little bit more personal assistance than what you can get from an online community? And are you looking for somebody to dedicate their attention and their time to helping you out when it comes to getting you unstuck with whatever it is that you are struggling with when it comes to the scanner radio hobby? I'm here to do just that. See, you can book me for a session right now where I'll sit on Zoom and do a video or a screen share with you just as if I am sitting across the table and helping you out. You can book your tutoring session right now by going to ScannerSchool.com tutoring. I can't wait to help you out. Unication's G2 to G5 pagers are great additions to your radio collection. Not only can they alert you with two-tone pager activations, but they can also monitor your local P25 silo systems that many scanner radios have problems receiving. And of course, many of our scanner school listeners are happily using their Unication pagers to scan their local trunk systems. How do I know? Because they've reached out to tell me. My company, East Coast Pagers, is an authorized Unication, Swiss phone, and Apollo pager dealer. We not only support departments and agencies, but also the home hobby user as well. Find us online at eastcoastpagers.com. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, and MURS, and 2A radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio magazine, as well as backup issues, too. To download your free sample issue or subscribe, visit natcommag.com.
0: A big part of my dissertation too, is focused on this idea of sharing and particularly what they heard. There's a group Mm -hmm. in Colorado that I worked with when I was an assignment editor at the NBC owned affiliate there at the time it was NBC owned now CBS owns it, but they were called the mountain news net. Okay. And they would use pagers and they would have a group of dispatchers. And uh, the dispatchers would take in reports from various members. They have about 500 members in this group. And they would decide what to send out. And they would send it out and everybody could watch or could look at it and see what's going on where. Mm-hmm. And they also worked with the media and charged them a little bit more <laughs> to be a member. And, and the media benefited greatly from this. And it still does, as a matter of fact and i'm i'm wondering if you're familiar with any of groups like that and, and and even those who may have existed before pagers i don't know i'm sure there were some that that were around
1: before pagers i was involved for a while with a group called breaking news network that was out of fort lee new jersey and again, they use pagers. And in fact, I still have one of the old pagers sitting in a closet over there that uh, I had set up for them. And it was always cool. I mean, it was like, you know, something would happen and the page would go off and or you go back later in the day and find out what you missed. But same same thing as that group that you're talking about in Colorado. It was a lot of news agencies, newspapers, TV stations, even board up companies And they would all be subscribers, paid subscribers to that kind of stuff. And people like myself would listen to a scanner and we would pick up the tip line and dial the 800 number or we would use the computer app to send them a tip about what we heard. And if you had a reputation of sending out good information, they would just let it go like, okay, you can self-dispatch we know that you're good to go or you'd have like three or four people who all chat you know chime in at the same time and then everybody's you know little call sign or or ID would end up at the end of the page so again that was one way of doing social networking but there's also private radio clubs that were involved i think before paging as well one that comes to mind here and again i don't want to just say breaking news network was the only one out here. There was, there was a couple of other ones. They they all had their own clicks and, you know, everybody would bad, you know, Oh, these guys are are bad. You got to come over here. These guys always send out bad information. You should come over here. You know, it's, so it's, it's, it's always one of those, my team's better than your team kind of deal, but there were radio clubs that were involved. I think even before paging two that come to mind was uh, citywide one, New York out of, out of New York. And also citywide, which was the other one, which one was number one, which one was number two? I don't know. But they had the same deal. It was a bunch of guys who would listen to the scanner and they were approved to come on because they were all members and they would they would share what they heard over the radio. And I don't know if this went out to anybody in particular or what you know, if they funneled information down to a news desk. But instead of me listening to the FDNY or NYPD, I would just leave those two frequencies on scan all day long. Because if it was newsworthy or if it was something big, I would know about it because somebody else was about to come on the air and say, hey, there's a robbery in in downtown Manhattan or you have a fire alarm structure fire up in up in the Bronx. So that was a lot easier for me to listen to those kinds of things than it was to. And those were everything.
0: Those were free services, right? Well, I don't know.
1: I mean, I don't know if you had to pay to be a member of them. But to listen, it was free. They didn't, they didn't encrypt. There was no voice inversion or like that. Then you start getting into more modern radio clubs that are out there, and they use services like, at least locally here, they're on DMR, or they have their own DMR system. And that allows them to have a bigger footprint. It also allows them to tie into the internet a little bit better and have voice over IP that way. But it gives them the ability now to start encrypting their radio communication so that only their members can hear. But it also allows them, too, to have alternate channels or talk groups on the main system. So they can have a side talk or a back room or whatever it is that you want to call it. And you can have just the media channel where just the breaking news happens. And then you can have the romper room off on the side. So There is that form of community that still happens over the radio and, hey, you know, who's going fishing today or, you know, go outside and look at this or, you know, something that that would involve as well. So there is still that form of
0: community that that happens. You mentioned that you kind of had to earn your spot before you could directly page. And the reason I ask that question is that I find a lot of these groups have standards for what goes out over their, you know, their nets, you know, what goes out over there. I call them news feeds because that's kind Mm -hmm. of what they are. And what kinds of things did you have to qualify? I mean, what kinds of things did they look for? And they're probably basic things, but I'm curious what the
1: standards were. So basically the standards were common sense, right? You're not going to put something that's going to put an officer or a first responder in Jeopardy, right? That's one of those things that you don't want to, to have it go out there. They also had like a, a code that if it was a member of service or or something happened to a member of service or something like that, they they kind of don't want to be the source of information from that because you never know who is a subscriber or who is listening or who might be relaying that information. And the, the kind of the code was that if somebody was injured or, you know, with, with line of duty death or something like that, you'd really want the proper channels to be the notification for that, N- not somebody who's listening to a scanner who's excited to say, I just heard this happen, right? Right that's not a good way to find out information about a loved one who might be on duty in that neighborhood at that particular time. Uh, So that was one of the things that I think they, they did not want to be paging, but it was detailed information. It was like, you you didn't want to bombard somebody's pager with 27 updates because of a size up or every single unit that's responding in, or, you know, they're having a low water problem and they got the, you know, the, the, the water district showed up and was able to so, you know, add some more more feed to the water system. So having all the information up front, knowing right not to basically jump the gun and just send out the page, but to sit back a little bit, collect some information, verify the address is correct, verify that the size of information is correct. And that kind of information was basically how they understood that you knew what you were talking about. And also to there was always that one guy that was the gatekeeper, right? There was always somebody on desk or on unpaid role. And, and his job too was also to manage the calls. And if he saw that you were submitting enough information and he was just, yes, that's good. Yes, that's good. Yes, that's good. Eventually they would realize that we don't need to gatekeep you anymore. You know, that your information is spot on. You've got all the details in there. You know, your, your text is correct. It's checked. It's within the character limit. But again, people also would start to have reputations. You know, this guy's stuff is good. This guy's stuff needs a bit of work. This guy is off the handle. So we'll never let him page. So there was always that kind of, you know, th- that that kind of stuff going on as well.
0: Gatekeepers, we call them editors in journalism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're talking about, well, I'm curious, are there things that just aren't important enough to scan, to, to share? Was there it sort of be. a a uh, magnitude issue there at all? Or I mean, I think a typical vendor, bender,
1: yeah, would, would wouldn't. But if it was like a row closure or a train derailment, I mean, I think if a cat stuck in the tree, I mean, that's not, it's not newsworthy. It's not pageable.
0: But I don't know if that was the question you were asking. But that's kind of the question I'm asking. I mean, yeah. magnitude is, a, is what we call a journalistic news value. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there are certain things you just don't share because nobody cares because they're routine. Much. Uh, on the other hand, there might be something that's weird, like 50,000 gallons of molasses spilled on the expressway, which may not be traditional hard news, but is interesting. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And that stuff. Would, yeah, that stuff would have gotten paged out as well. Yeah.
0: yep. And accuracy is is clearly important.
1: It is because not only, you know. It's the reputation of the company that you're paging out for, right? That's that's really where it comes down to. They they want to make sure that they are reliable because they have people out there who are paying for the service. And if and if your information to them isn't reliable, then you know it, it sends somebody in the wrong direction, they're not going to use your service. So that was always there. But if you look at like, you know, with today's age with a lot of the chat groups, you do find a lot of information is sent out and then corrected. And these are fine because it's on groups or chat groups. The house numbers are incorrect. Street name is incorrect. You know, wrong town or department was issued. And there's always this huge debate as to whether or not it's a working fire or not, because where I where I am from, they have a code for working fire. And if someone goes, oh, it's a working fire, it's a house fire, then all of a sudden you get the whole debate. It's not a working fire. They didn't issue a 10. They didn't issue a 1335. They didn't issue a, 10, a 1075. It's just a regular routine fire. It's not a working fire. I mean, I didn't know that a fire had to be employed in order for it to be, you know, I mean, (laughs) these are all different things that, that people start coming out of the woodworks about. And then again, is that becomes the fine line as to what something is newsworthy. Well, is it, is it a microwave fire or is it a kitchen fire? And then did it become a working fire? So, you know, these, these are all things that, that I don't know, to me always irked me when it came to some of the things you know is, are there flames present do they knock it down with the garden hose okay could you have roasted a marshmallow over it you know what i mean it's like you know, but again somebody's coffee pot that melted is not newsworthy somebody's bedroom that caught fire that's a little bit more newsworthy but if somebody's house caught fire and burnt to the ground in 30 minutes and five department show up, yeah that's 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 leading news you know for the morning type of deal
0: so. That's fascinating. It, it has always fascinated me, the, the similarities between some of these groups and journalists and and the material that they send out is, I mean, could you call these people citizen journalists? I think you could. I mean,
1: because they are reporting what they hear. And it, it depends on, I think, how far they're willing to take it. Like if they're going to stay within their own private group and they're going to talk about bunks themselves, are they just buffs? Or are they journalists, right? I I think at some point you cross the line between a radio buff, scanner buff, scanner listener, and somebody who takes action and does something. There are Facebook groups and other groups out there that are public facing that will post what they hear over the scanner. I mean, that might be more of a citizen journalist than just a group of people who are in a chat room talking, because now you're putting it in a public domain people may be looking, okay, road closure in Pike County, PA due to, I guess, a molasses spill, or whatever it is, right? You know, road closed for the last three hours. Yeah, that's citizen journalism. So is the guy, I think, who picks up the phone and says, hey, news editor, I'm listening to the scanner right now. I have a tip for you. I think the guy who picks up the phone never gets the credit for the tip, but the Facebook group might get sourced on a news article saying as per whatever mom's group out of so-and-so town. I mean, but there are other people out there too that, that do that. They just sit by the radio and they just post to Facebook all day long with the play-by-plays and that's their hobby. That's, that's, that's what they do, whether it's right or wrong. But yeah, I think, and then there are other websites that become more polished than others that deal with, You know, more homegrown type of websites that are community focused that get a lot of information off of the scanner. They write blog posts and they, you know, they're they're not the big paper, but they're the the digital version of a community resource of things that happen around town that they may hear over the scanner. So yeah, I think they would they could be qualified.
0: You know, I've got some articles I'll have to share with you from the 30s and the 20s of people who were listening to scanners and showed up at events <laughs> and uh, they weren't listening to scanners they were listening to homebrew radios mm-hmm. of some kind police departments were actually complaining about the number of people showing up at crime scenes so this is not this is in 1929 so this has been going on for a long time what do you think by the way i mean there are bad actors in this hobby are there not ones who could maybe show up at things they shouldn't show up at and cause trouble or it has happened
1: has has definitely happened. There was an issue where there was somebody who was having either a psychotic episode or whatever, but he was walking around threatening people with knives or whatever it was he had. And people showed up because it's, it's interesting. This is a guy walking around. He barricaded himself in a home and we want to know what happened next. A lot of people listened to the scanner. A lot of people were on scene. And again, too, lights. If you, if you have six cop cars sitting on an intersection, it's going to draw a crowd anyway. The same thing happens with with police and fire, right? If a house is on fire, you're going to get people that show up. You're going to get people who are ambulance chasers. They hear the sirens. They're going to go find out where they are. I think even without scanners going on, you're always going to have a crowd when you have people like that. There was a person who was constantly showing up for all of the police calls, and, and he was known. He was, he was a known person that kept showing up. And what ended up happening was you had multiple police agencies on scene because it happened a block away from the Long Island Railroad. So not only did you have the county police there, but you also had the MTA police, the Metropolitan Transit Authority was there as well. Well, one agency didn't know what the other agency was doing. They were plain closed officers also on scene with their badges around their neck, but they also had firearms, long guns with them. And somebody in the, I don't know if it was another cop, somebody there yelled gun. The off-duty officer ended up being shot and he passed away from his gunshot wound injury. The radio traffic that happened afterwards is things of nightmares, What you'd listen to. Again, I was at home listening to this unfold, jaw dropping, listening to the panic that set in immediately after you know the injury to the officer. But I think that one specific event that happened here basically was the reason that encryption took hold of the county. Again, there could be some bad actors out there. When you look at some of the protests that had happened in recent recent years, you would have people who listened to scanners and knew where police were showing up or going to be setting up barricades or checkpoints and we're redirecting people based off of what they were hearing off the scanner. And again, if, if somebody had eyes and ears on just where the police were to begin with, they could have easily have set up checkpoints in the, in the agency or, or in the town or wherever it was that they were planning on protesting anyway, to see where the cops were and they could have done. There's always ways around. it. I don't think scanner radios are the reason that specifically things happen. I think when you take something away, people learn they know how to adapt to the challenges at hand so if you take that away from them they will just find another way to get the same information and share the same information it's just at this time scanning makes it convenient is the convenient way of doing it
0: uh, so, on social media now too yeah exactly um, yep. you know let's t- i guess now is a good time to talk about encryption yep and there's lots of different viewpoints on this and you know yep. i know in, in your position you you probably have to be you have different masters that you have to be considerate of because i know you work with a lot of public safety people and they have they can make some very strong arguments for encryption but then, then there are there are also the other side where they can make strong arguments against what are your thoughts about encryption and why is it happening
1: so let's look at part of your question first when it comes to just public safety to public safety right the arguments within public safety against encryption. It has happened again in my county. Not to not to say my county is bad, but every I think every place has its little little bits, right? That it's it's not so great. Definitely out of character for the location I'm about to tell a story in, but my local police have encrypted. And the fire departments are they they were in an uproar. We can't listen. We have no idea what is happening in our own backyards. We always get a jump on Rescue calls because we know there's an accident because we heard the accident come over the police scanner, and it takes seven to ten minutes for our own dispatchers to get notified because of just all the red tape and everything else that happens here. That we could already be, you know, casually showing up en route, and then when we get the dispatch, lights and sirens. Right? We we can we can cut time off by doing this. And the police department basically said, "Well, we'll give each dispatch." place, you know, whether it be county dispatch or each independent is dispatcher, two radios, two radios, one is staying at dispatch center and one that could go to a chief or a higher up or just an area that the general people can listen to. Right. So each chief is like, well, there's like four chiefs here or there's two chiefs and two assistant chiefs. So it it really did trickle down to this. Well, this is the best you're going to get. You're only going to get two radios And that's that we're not giving any more away. And then it became a big problem where somebody got their hands on a radio and they cloned the radio. So then that became a problem. There are departments that have gotten smart to it and they take their one dispatch radio and they pump it through the in-house intercom system. So anybody in the firehouse can hear the dispatchers, police issued radio, which is great. So, but to go to the story here. So there was an issue where there was a shooting and the local EMS company was dispatched to the scene of the shooting. They roll in not knowing it is still an active shooter situation and are now taking on fire when they showed up at scene. That became a big argument that, Hey, we need to know what is happening. County still took their position and said, you cut your two radios, make sure you use them wisely. So that became a whole big issue. So within public safety, that is the argument against encryption. From my position here, I have to be respectful of both sides of the story. As a scanner radio listener, I, I don't like encryption because I can't hear what I want to hear. But in the meantime, too, I had to take the stance and saying, well, if I was ever in an accident or if I'm getting pulled over by a police officer, do I really want my name, my date of birth, my address, my social security number, and all other personal information to go out over a clear channel? Do I want somebody else to know everything about me based off of a traffic stop? Do I want somebody knowing that I'm at a traffic stop? Right? To me, that's personal information that I don't want somebody knowing. I get it. Encrypt that information because I really don't want that. It's like it's like walking around with that guy from LifeLock that would that was giving his social security number out to everybody, right? What happened to the guy? Everybody tried to steal his social security number. So there there is that part there. My thought really is there should be a clear channel for day-to-day dispatching, right? As as and I think it's too political here, but there's people who will say, I pay your taxes, it's you know, it's 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 a community thing, it's transparency, this or or whatever it ends up becoming. Dispatch should be in the clear. If you have a tactical situation, if you have something that's sensitive, if you have something that's officer safety, if you have an active shooter situation, protest, whatever it is, if they have to take that over to a secure channel, take it to a secure channel. Secure channels can be abused. I mean, it's it's happened before where officers, and not to put people in in the light, but it has been published in the news that, you know, they talk about this or they discuss that over what they presumed to have been a secure channel that wasn't a secure channel. And it comes out that they talk negatively about a particular person or a bunch of people or whatever it happens to be. So there's oversight committees that think that we should be able to hear everything, that nothing should be encrypted. So again, my stance is I believe that we should be able to listen to what's over the airwaves because that's what makes the hobby fun right? It's, it's, it's fun to listen to what's going on. My local police department, yes, is encrypted. There is definitely an issue with me not being able to hear them, but you have to learn what else you can listen to, to work around the problem. Well, I listen to the the MTA, the railroads, because if a train derails, I'll hear about it there as opposed to hearing about it on the local police channels. But there's also things you won't ever hear about. So there's that line. Personal line, no encryption on dispatch channels. And there are departments out there that do that. There's actually one department out in California that just said, we're going to turn for encryption this week. They made a big statement that said, hey, as of this date now, our residents can now listen to police dispatches again. And it was a big PR thing. And I wish that more places would do that. There's an old saying that says what's good for California is good for the rest of the county, the country. I don't agree with that statement because of a lot of things that happen in California, I'm not for, but this is happens to be one of those things that I really wish would happen where, where we are. But again, there's officer safety. Again, there was something that we just talked about before in my, my County in, in, in a town that's close to me where an officer passed away because of scanner radio listeners. Again, do you need to have an active shooter situation? Do you need to have traffic stops? Do you need to have all these things in the clear There has to be a fine line where it comes to public knowledge versus officer safety and security versus also high profile or high, you know, maybe as a person of authority or of power or political connection, whatever it might be, might be, you know, a person of interest, certain things, again, don't need to be available to the active listener.
0: One of the things I hear a lot from scanner listeners is that open channels encourage accountability if people are listening officers may not do things they would do knowing that they're not being listened to Do
1: you think that's true it's a good question that i'm going to be very careful to answer because again i don't want to insult anybody or kind of paint myself into a corner with this kind of response because i do understand and respect the whole reason for this I think, again, human nature, that there are people that will try no matter what to, you know, they're going to they're gonna do something wrong anyway. I'm not saying it's just specific to a particular particular group or to a department or a job function or something like that, right? I believe that for the most part, people are good people, but it always does take one or two bad seeds to ruin the reputation for everybody. So it doesn't matter if 99 people out of a hundred are angels. It's that one person out there that is going to spoil that reputation for everybody. So if there's one or two bad cops in the pool, yes, that's what people are going to say that everybody is like, because that's the example that gets, gets made, made examples of, but yeah, going back to what we were talking about earlier, where there were some examples where people were saying things and doing things that they thought were on a secure channel that weren't. That was the whole deal with the mobile data terminals. And that's kind of what got Bill Cheek in trouble a while back was he was selling kits that would allow you to demodulate digital or computer traffic that was over the air. And he wasn't basically selling the, the software that would allow you to listen to the mobile data terminal. But you could acquire the software to listen to the mobile data terminal or to decode the mobile data terminal by using his kit as the go between your computer and, I mean, there was a thousand other things you could have used that kit for, but one of them was to listen to the mobile data terminal. And it turned out that it was sold to them as being secure, but the whole thing of it being secure was the fact that nobody had the technology at that time to listen or put back together the zeros and ones. And people were saying things they shouldn't have been saying over that because they thought it was secure. The other thing is that, well, you always have the right to file a FOIL request, right? Freedom of of information. But a lot of departments will drag their feet over that or will say that that's sensitive or redacted or, you know, under
0: investigation currently, right? Or.
1: We, we, we can't just give you between the hours of, you know, 12 midnight and 11.59 p.m. for every single day as a FOIL request. It has to be that specific time and date and everything else that's required to it. And maybe we'll get it to you. So this is a whole lot that gets and
0: it does get political and everything else that, you know, comes out of it. It sure does. Um, I'm, I want to talk to you about a real, just a side question here. Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble finding women to interview and, well, people of color as well, because I'd like to do, I've got a lot of white men, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I know there's more in the hobby. I yes. know there are lots of women and I know there are people of color who listen and I would love to find more. Okay. Are there any groups of women or groups that you've you mentioned you? And you may have just made that up. About moms, mom scanner groups. Are there any of those that you know of or any? I would love it, to find some women who listen to scanners.
1: I can put you in touch with somebody if you'd like to. I know somebody who's in the Midwest. I think she's in Ohio, but she does like listening to the scanner. She's actually a member of my community that we have over on Discord. And she comes in. I do a, a live, like a, a monthly meetup. We come into Zoom and we, we talk and, and she is she's present for those so if you would like her information i can i can certainly pass her information oh, I would be, to you
0: i'd be grateful if so, you could shoot that to me that yeah would be let terrific. me ask
1: her if she's okay with that first and then of course, you know and then when i got her permission uh, or i could just if you want i can just send send you send her your information to reach out but but she's what? yeah she's she's definitely into the hobby but i think radio in general is kind of a man's hobby yeah. I think it goes against race but i think it definitely goes against sex that we, yeah. we're, we're kind of the guys who will find us, but it's not to say it's not unheard of. There's a plenty of amateur, you know, there's, you know, XYL groups or YL groups for young ladies or, you know, but yeah, there, there's, there are certain industries and hobbies that lean definitely one way or the other, as far as race goes, I think that this is definitely a hobby that
0: is not race specific, but I, uh, I mean, it might have been, 40 years ago just because mm-hmm. they weren't there weren't as many people of color exposed right, right. to it but now right, i think right, it's yeah that's my you know thought. what there, there might be somebody else too that that i could reach out to also you know i really appreciate that and i have, I have no one kind of last question and that is sure. you know in journalism we like to talk about war stories you know big mm-hmm. stories that we've covered big stories we've been involved with do you have any scanner war stories of of a big event that you listened to or participated in, in terms of sharing information or not, but anything that stands out in your career of scanner listening?
1: Yeah, there's there's a couple. The one we talked about early about the officer being shot here, but there's another one that was newsworthy that I listened to happen live and only by mistake because it wasn't something I typically scan. It was just something that I just happened to have on and I caught it by accident. And yeah, I do have the audio. It's archived here locally, but I I will, I will haven't shared it with anybody as far as the audio goes because it's just one of those chilling things. After the air show wrapped up here on Long Island, the air show happens every year, Memorial Day weekend, and it brings in a bunch of military craft. It brings in a bunch of civilian performers, and it brings in a lot of old antique types of, of planes. But not only do they fly for the air show here and do a performance or just a flyby, but sometimes they'll fly out to the Statue of Liberty and, and do a pass while they're in town or they'll fly up the Hudson River. And it's a big, big, big weekend here. In fact, the Skytypers, Geico, well, at the time they were Geico's Skytypers. But I think they've lost the Geico name recently, but they would fly out every Memorial Day and drop a wreath at the Statue of Liberty. Right. So certain little things that happened here and there, but there was a couple of planes that were in old. I think they were the P fifty ones. I think that were in, if I'm not mistaken, and I happened to have the radio going on aviation because the air show was in town, and I was just generally listening to the general aviation frequencies. Nothing spectacular. It was one two three dot dot four one. You know, just a typical air to air communication between pilots, and. It's routine, routine conversation I'm listening to. And all of a sudden, one of the planes loses, loses power and goes down. And you can hear, you don't hear anything come over the pilot that had the issue, but you do hear the panic of the other pilots he was flying with. What happened? Where did you go? Are you in trouble? The pilot went down in the water and passed away. So that was something that, you know, I was not expecting to hear, but, you know, we we were able to hear over the radio. So that's that's one of those war stories. But the big war story, 9-11, being that I am an hour away from New York City, more or less Manhattan, closer to the actual border of physical New York City. But we always think of New York City as being the actual island of Manhattan. And yeah, I didn't listen to it live, but I do have copies of all the tapes. I've got copies. It's weird listening to it because it, you know they come on the air or they come on to the tape and say, "This is recording number X Y Z from the FDNY FDNY archives, tape one, side A," and then you hear the retransmissions of the day. I still can't make it more than a couple of minutes listening to those tapes, but as a memorial to 9-11. And, you know, I, I I don't know people, I don't think personally that have passed away through 9-11, but I know people who know people, or I know people who lost family, or I know people who family was first responders and passed away. Um, know people who are still losing people due to cancers and everything else. But there are scanner radio listeners out there that like to listen to nine eleven again. And to them, I don't know if it brings closure to it, or maybe it brings a little bit of excitement. Maybe it brings a little bit of just remembering that day. It's what they do. But I rebroadcast those tapes in real time to the internet. And there are a lot of people, a lot of people who log in and listen to the audio from Manhattan on my 9-11 tapes. They're not my personal tapes. I, I found them on the internet and I, I actually forget the organization who, who shared publicly shared the tapes. I do not claim ownership of them or whatever, but I rebroadcast basically. I just stream them out in real time. And so many people have, have listened to it that I actually had to get hosting through Amazon's web services because every time I would broadcast them here, it would crash my local server. So I end up now relaying the traffic over to there. But that is a huge... War story, basically, because it did lead into a whole war. Um, But you hear everything. I mean, you hear routine traffic. You hear the initial dispatch for the Trade Center fire. You hear the chaos of dispatchers trying to tell units in the field to not talk over each other or to take turns or you know you can hear everybody keying up on top of each other you can hear people screaming for help i mean the nightmare that what happened over the air it, it certainly painted a picture of the failed infrastructure right because at that point it was a conventional repeater it was a fields or a receive side a transmit side even though there was a mixer in the in the way but yeah it uh, The system couldn't handle it. You you can't have all these people keying up asking for help or where do I respond to. And those poor dispatchers, they were able to keep a cool head and keep things organized and, and get information out. I mean, I can't imagine the chaos that was not only happening out in the field at the trade center, but, you know, in the command bureau. I mean, it's unbelievable. But but it was, it was not only FDNY, but you had NYPD. You had the EMS companies all in there. I mean, there was a lot of stuff and I remember seeing the smoke from here where I am, the Long Island expressway was empty, empty. I have never seen it where you could walk down the expressway and there was just no cars out. I mean, it, it, the effect rippled, and it's again, not just here in New York. I mean, there were, you had the plane that went down and was it Pennsylvania? I think it went down and and you had the, you know, the, the Pentagon and, and it it wasn't everybody kind of focuses, you know, here locally because it's, it was the trade center, but a lot of stuff, you know, that happened because of that, but that's a war story.
0: Yeah, it sure is. And do you broadcast it on, on, on the anniversary or do you just broadcast it all? Yeah. It's on the anniversary. So Oh, on the universe. Yeah.
1: And it's yeah. in sync with the time too. So the actual oh, wow. feed kind of comes on early so that people can can set up and listen to it. And then I think the first tape starts roll starts rolling. It's it's queued up so that there's enough dead air and, and, and an intro stuff. So that at 8 46 a.m. on nine eleven, that's wow. when the audio comes in. So wow. It's pretty much um, real time.
0: Now, do you run a little business here with the scanner thing, or is it just something you do on the side? Or well, it is on the side. No matter
1: how much of a business I try to make it, it's <laughs> it's it's not a profitable thing to to make a living off of. I think those who make livings off of scanners are very far and few. Yeah. It's not to say it's impossible to do, but I haven't been able to do it. But, but yeah, I started with a a website. I think. Yeah, I think we go full circle here with this question here. So, I had a website that I ran on my amateur radio call sign called w2lie.net. And I had live scanner radio feeds going there. I had frequency lists published. I had website forums. And I actually had a chat group that was set up on the side so that if somebody had something they wanted to send out right away, it would go out in the chat box. And eventually, the chat box would buffer out and the old stuff wouldn't be visible anymore. But anything new and, 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 would, would always be on the front page. And it was a social media community about scanning here on Long Island. And my draw to it was that at the time when I launched the site back in 2005, nobody else had streaming scanners on the internet in my community. And it was very difficult to try and understand how to set up a scanner because it wasn't, there weren't a lot of people doing it at that time in the way that I wanted. Alpha tags were being sent out. We were recording audio, archiving it. And I started, I was reached out by somebody said, Hey, I live up in the Bronx. I want my scanner program. Can you program a scanner for me? And that was like, Oh, I could, I could, I could start programming scanners. So I started charging 50 bucks and up to program a radio and not to say it was profitable, but when, when, it was profitable at the time because my expenses was really just the website and buying a couple of radios and, and the software and stuff like that. So I was doing pretty well as far as the side business goes. And then I ended up creating Monitor Long Island Inc. as an S-Corp because I started selling scanners. And I discovered profit margins were very tight when it came to that kind of hardware. And the S-Corp now became the umbrella for everything else I do. So somebody reached out to me and said, hey, Phil, have you seen these pagers, these fire pagers that people carry? They hold 64 memory channels. You could actually use one as a scanner. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I actually now spun off another business uh, called East Coast Pagers that I sell all these fire pages off of. And that's doing fairly well. But again, not so much enough that I can make a living off of. Side business, really good. Living, not so good. And then I created this podcast. And the podcast is a vampire that sucks all of the profits out of East Coast <laughs> Pagers. And, it's, and, and it's, so, so yeah, if, if you look at it that way, the, the, the what I'm doing here at The Scanner is kind of, you know, is, is, is really a vampire. It's But in the end, the business was created so that I could fund my hobby without having really to ask my wife for permission to buy radios or antennas and stuff like that. Right. I kind of, it funds all that. And I think now it's getting to a place that it could, you know, uh, I could, I could really start putting money. I've been taking money out of it and investing it into stocks. What a great time to be investing in stocks. But I, you know, it's, it's getting to a point where, and it's not because of the, it's because of the hobby, but it's not because of the podcast or any one particular thing. And it's, I think they all come together as a whole and, and are doing that. But yeah, I am able to siphon a little bit off the top and not make a living off of it, but maybe set up a retirement account or to pay for my daughter's tuition for school or to maybe put money aside so I could save up for an, you know, a vacation or expenses. It's, but yeah, it's, yeah. I'd love it to be full-time. I would love to be able to sit down and do this and, and create more content about the scanner radio hobby maybe in retirement maybe 20
0: years from now in retirement i could do that but for right now it's i teach podcasting and i teach content creation and i can tell you you're pretty good just keep at it yes that's the real key to successful podcasting is doing it long enough having a good idea and doing it long enough that's a lot of it it's a word of mouth type of thing so keep at it. Yep. Uh, and and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And if you ever want me to chat again, I'm always glad to do it. Or if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. I appreciate uh, that. You you really have your act together and you know your stuff and you're very articulate and a good interviewer. And, you know, I'm a real old guy, so I've, I've been around a lot of different folks. and I was a news director in TV and and I, I think you're on to something. So I appreciate hang in that. there.
1: Thanks, thanks. I think that my problem is I've, I've got too many balls in the air. I think between everything that's going on, I think if I could drop them all and focus on one, oh, yeah. it, would be, it would be a whole lot better. But the problem is I need to do this to fund this to do, you know what I mean? They, they all kind of like live off. Like I said, it's a vampire. If, if this wasn't a vampire, I think everything else could be, can be totally pushed aside. But yeah, they'll, they'll, I'm hoping one day this will be completely self-sufficient. And when that happens, then yeah, we'll be cooking with gas. It's wonderful to meet you.
0: Pleasure. I'm here. here. Thank you uh, very much
1: for reaching out. And I wish you great success with, uh, with your study and the article. And we'd love to get a little peek of it once everything is all done. Oh, yeah. If you don't mind. Yeah.
0: I'll send it to you. I might send you all some right. other stuff I found okay. too that might interest you. So appreciate uh, I really, again, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll talk again. You got it. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Hey, Brian, I want to thank you so
1: much for taking the time to jump on to a recorded session for a podcast. And I really want to wish you the best of luck with your research and with the publication of your paper. And of course, you know, graduating and earning all the titles that come along with what it is you've been spending so many years working on. I really did enjoy our conversation and I want to just say it one more time, the invite is there for you to come back on the podcast at any time. So I'd love to speak with you again. And again, the door is always open. Now, before we end today's podcast episode, as a general reminder, I'm always looking for questions to answer. And in fact, I've been answering more questions on YouTube. So make sure you check us out over there at scannerschool.com YouTube. But you can also leave me your questions at 516-308-2885 or by using SpeakPipe or our voicemail link or over at scannerschool.com ask. Please hit subscribe on this podcast episode, no matter where you're listening to it on. So, if it's a podcast over on an audio player or over on YouTube, that would really help motivate me to keep going with the podcast episodes. And finally, we have our Discord server, which you can join us over at scannerschool.com/discord and be a part of the Scan Nerds community. Before we wrap up this week's podcast, I want to take a minute here to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Altrac, Arthur Heron, Bill K, Bob Robs, Bob Milton, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Dombrowski, Dave Pasco, David C. David Kuznetsky, Denny Crotty, Dylan Heider, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, I hate Junkmail, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, James Broxson, James Felling, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeod, Jenny Taylor, Jim B. Jim Heinrich, Joe Curtis, Joe P. Joe Kordoff, John Keel, John Sheldon, John Sweeney, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Mark Beebe, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Michael Meadows, Mike Lopez, Mike Pilts, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Teal, Raymond Hill, Rich Palmary, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Scott Lefgren, Terry Wright, Tim Mazza, TJ, Todd Glendie, and William Arcand. Find out more about Patreon and our support tiers by visiting scannerschool.com Patreon. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again next week, 73.